Hello everyone, Michael here with a quick announcement, I guess. Uh, I wanted to let everyone know that attached to this episode in the show notes is a survey uh, using Google Docs that I've put together to get some feedback on all the various types of shows that we produce here at the RPG Academy. I've had a sneaking suspicion for a little while now that we may have been spending a lot of time, effort, and energy producing some shows that have taken priority over other shows, and we may have that backwards. So just to make sure, and make sure we don't do anything drastic without cause or need, but that we do make changes if necessary, I've just listed out all the different types of shows that we do, like detention, faculty meeting, campaigns, field trips, and so on. Uh, There's seven of them. And the survey asks you to rate them one being your favorite, seven being your least favorite, and then don't use the numbers more than once. So basically, you will have to rate each show as a one, two, three, four, five, six, or seven. Seven being your least favorite, one being your favorite. So it's like golf scores. The lowest score means good. And then there's also just a big giant text box at the end that you can fill out any information that you would like uh, to give us some feedback. It's uh, anonymous. I don't think I could attach emails to surveys. And if there is a way, I don't know how. So it's as if it's in totally anonymous anyway. So feel free. Uh, good, inf- you know, good feedback is great. Makes us feel better. Critical feedback makes us better. So I hope that you will take the time to complete the survey, at least the number portion. And if there's anything that's just on your mind that you feel like you really need to cover, feel free to use that text box. I will also announce that just recently, I have gone in and have created a new feed for every show type. So if you only like faculty meetings, you can actually go to your podcatcher of choice or iTunes and just get the faculty meeting episodes. If you just like the campaigns or if you just like detention, you can go through and just get the ones that you want. And if you want everything, then you can just say subscribe to our main feed, which will continue to have all of the show types that come out. I'm still in the process of going back and categorizing each of the show types correctly. So at this exact moment, I don't know that every one of those individual feeds has all of the proper shows on it, but it will be updated shortly. And just really quickly, back when we first started doing movie days, we actually called them show and tell. But then we changed show and tell to be our interview show. And then we were doing interview shows before we did that. So if you go all the way back to the beginning, there's some name convention overlap. I have tried to correct that when I recategorize things. So there's like a faculty meeting where we interviewed Rich Baker for their game Ultimate Scheme. It came out as a faculty meeting. I have renamed it now as a show and tell. So it should be on the show and tell feed. And there were a couple of the movie days that we called show and tell originally. I have renamed them movie days. So give me some time, but everything should work out and everything should be where it's supposed to be. And now a quick word from one of our sponsors. This episode of the RPG Academy podcast is brought to you by Fifth Epoch Publishing, the company where reality meets fantasy. Fifth Epoch Publishing is happy to announce that this year's newest publication will be the Vampire's Codex role-playing game, which will bring an exciting new twist to the horror genre. There's also a number of other new releases for some of its other games, including their first fantasy RPG, Metal Magic and Lore, which continues to gain fandom across the U.S., as well as Box Battles Cold War Evolution, which is 5th Epoch Publishing's 6MM Miniatures War Game, set in the 1970s Cold War, which has been well-received by new and old collectors since release. 
If you would like more information about any of these products or release dates, please go to fifthepochpublishing.com. That's the number five, thepochpublishing.com. And there will be links to this in the show notes. We'd like to thank Fifth Epoch Publishing once again for sponsoring this episode. And now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael, and today I brought along an extra special guest co-host. Uh, you probably know him as Sly Flourish. Uh, his, his actual name is Mike Shea. Uh, you probably know him from his Twitter handle, his blog, SlyFlourish.com, the book he wrote, The Lazy Dungeon Master, or any of the Kickstarters he's been part of, uh, Fantastic Locations and Fantastic Adventures. Um, as well as a bunch of other stuff you've done. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. All right. Did I leave out anything important? I don't think so. That, that's pretty much it. <laughs> well, that's a lot. And you actually <laughs> have also written uh, some stuff that's been like officially published through yes, uh, yeah. Watsy creature design, adventure yep. design stuff. Yep. Uh, yeah. Of, of all of those, Vault, Vault of the Dracolich is probably the one that I'm, I don't know if I'm most known for it, but it's probably my favorite. Okay. And then you also did something recently with the Yawning Portal, right? You did like a... Some tips and tricks on that, or am I getting yes. confused? Uh, no, I, I did an article. I've, so I've done a couple of articles for uh, Dragon Plus, and um, uh, what did I do? Yeah, how do you, how to get the most? Like how to squeeze the most out of Tales of the Awning Portal was one of them, and there was another one of like top. I think it was one d one hundred DM tips. Oh, okay. which yeah. was great. Yeah, I, I think I, I've, I think I fell into that somewhere or came across it. And you also do some podcasting. You're on the Behind the Dune Screen yeah. podcast. Uh, and then you've been a guest quite frequently on Talking Tabletop or Tabletop Babble. Yes, and I actually host a show with them. Uh, they have a so the, the podcast network is called the Don't Split the Podcast Network. Uh, Rudy Basso and James Intercasso are the two guys that run that, and uh, I run a show on there called the DM's Deep Dive, which is a Twitch and YouTube and podcast where I try to pick one particular uh, sort of an. Uh, you know, an expert in a particular area and on, on one topic and kind of dive into that topic. So like we had Stephen or Stefan Picorni, the guy who makes Dwarven Forge. He was on the show two nights ago. Oh, very cool. I will definitely have to check that one out. And then I, I want to, since I have the opportunity, because I've actually passed you in the hallways a couple of times at Origins and Gen Con. I, I'm sure you had no idea who I was. I kind of <laughs> know your face. Uh, so I, I know we, we've crossed paths, but we've also crossed paths on the internet once before. Uh, we've mm -hmm. been doing the podcast now five years, five and a half years, something like that. Uh, you know, I like to say we're like upper, upper middle class when it comes to like <laughs> a listener. You know, we're, we're well below the one percenters, right. uh, you know, but uh, we're also well above the people that are below us. Right. Um, and when I first got started, I started reading your blog. Uh, mm -hmm. Also, the Chatty DM. Those were the two mm -hmm. that yep. I came across yep. and I read Phil, a lot of. Phil Menard. Yep. Yes. Uh, I'd great guy. Yep. And um, I, I did I did the thing that probably a lot of people do is I just kind of sent you a cold Twitter uh, message like, hey, I just started a podcast. Would you mind, you know, like giving me a little shout out? And mm -hmm. you did. I don't know why. <laughs> I wouldn't have, but you did. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think you linked to one of the articles I'd written or one of our first shows and just kind of threw it out there. And and I I don't want to credit all of our success to you, but I definitely <laughs> think that that gave us a nice little start. Got us kind of going that's, pretty good. That's good. I'm glad that worked out. I mean, I, the same sort of thing happened to me with uh, um, 
Micro Hulik on Penny Arcade. That oh yeah, no one no one knew my website at all, and then I wrote some article about Fourth Edition D and D. He was just getting into it, and he linked he he retweeted it. And the next thing you know, the next day I had a thousand followers. I'm like Whoa! right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I have no idea if like I would I would be in total obscurity if it hadn't been for the fact that Micro Hulik retweeted <laughs> well, me once. Pay it forward, people. You know? Yeah, right. If, so you, pay it if you get to the yeah. the place yeah. where you have a little bit of following. Yeah. Don't, no, don't be afraid to uh, help out a little guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but again, I did really want to thank you for that. I really appreciate you coming on the show. We, sure. No, I love, love being here. And you, 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 hooked, you hooked me with the topic. I was definitely interested. Yeah. But what's interesting about that is, uh, you know, again, I follow your Twitter. And I, I see a lot of the stuff that you do. You do. And for quite a while, you've been very much into like, you know, fourth edition, how combat works, how you yep. can make them interesting, yep. strategic, tactical. Mm-hmm. And and that kind of goes hand in hand with using maps and using miniatures. Yep. And then also, yep. you know, Dwarven Forge, you talk a lot about that and yep. you show some of your setups. But just within the last, last couple of months, I've noticed that you've started to explore and and see some value in maybe not using them. And that's mm-hmm. what we wanted to talk about specifically tonight yep. is, you know, why, why use one over the other? Not why one's better, because we don't believe in that. But right. if you're going to use maps and minis, or especially Dwarven Forge, why and what are you trying to accomplish by using them? And if you mm-hmm. don't use them, how mm-hmm. can you get the best mileage out of that? Mm-hmm. But before we get too far along, we have a little bit of ritual we have to do here. We want to take a moment to talk about why we're here. Mm-hmm. So the reason that we gather for these faculty meetings is so that myself and my guests, we can talk about role-playing games. And we hope that through these conversations, we can share some of the experiences that we've gleaned from those many years of playing tabletop RPGs. But we understand that the opinions we share and the advice we give may not work at every table every time. But there is one piece of advice that we feel is pretty universal. What is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you play, which system or edition... What rules you use, don't use, or misuse. As long as your table's having fun, you're doing it right. Yep. So with that out of the way, we're going to jump straight into the topic. And again, we're going to talk about Maps Minis. Dwarven Forge. Dwarven Forge. That's what I'm looking for. (laughs) And then good old theater of the mind or narrative combat. Yep. So I've been doing most of the talking as I normally do. So I'll kind of throw it over to you. Talk me through kind of your, like when you came into the hobby, did you start with Maps Minis? Did you start with the other? And, And where did it grow from? Man. So if I, I was trying to think about that, because I started with second edition back in, mostly back in college. I did a little bit in high school. This would have been in the early, like late 80s, early 90s. So I was kind of late to the D&D game. Uh, I had I had friends who played first edition and Redbox and everything like that. And I remember like them carrying suitcases of D&D stuff around. Uh, I had a friend of mine who doesn't play D&D anymore, but did back then, who literally had like his father's business suitcase. You know, it always looked like he was like running away from home every time he packed <laughs> up his D&D stuff and went around. But that's that, that's what he had. And I so but in college, I, I ran a bunch of games for a couple of years. And uh, I just remember drawing everything like we didn't we literally just get, you know, we would just pull out pieces of paper and just kind of draw out a map. And we didn't have minis. We didn't have anything else. And it, and it never even occurred to us to go, like get pewter miniatures or, or whatever. And then I fell out of it for a while. And I got back into it when my when my wife brought me into a group with her friends and we played and um that's i think when we started getting into maps and miniatures a little bit this was third edition third uh, um 3.5 mm-hmm. and i don't think like the fantastic they had, so there's actually another fantastic locations it was a product that wizards of the coast put out with a bunch of maps in it and i don't think that was out yet or it might have been they, they had like a D miniatures thing that they were doing back then Yes, before fourth edition, they were doing that. Okay. So it was the first time we had like really nice printed maps. 
and they just started doing the plastic miniatures. Mm-hmm. And I got in the, so the good thing is I got in early when oil was at a certain price point in the world and sure. plastic was cheap. Yeah. You wouldn't think like that mattered. Right. But it did. And I was getting miniatures for like 25 cents a piece. Right. And I loaded up on them. So I've probably got mm-hmm. like 1500 miniatures. They're all sitting. Oh, in a wow. big, yeah. They're all sitting in a big thing here. Drawer upon drawer upon drawer of them. And a lot of the reason I have that many is because I backed too many Reaper Kickstarters, but also because I got in early and, you know, found the secondary market really useful and, and everything like that. And just the other day, I was, I had, a, you know, the characters were fighting a bunch of, you know, water cultists, you know, like Cthulhu sort of, you know, fish, fish people. And I had a whole bunch of those like gray robed cultists with their arms out, holding a dagger in one hand and a staff in the other. And I had like 12 of them. And people were like, man, that's a great mini. Where'd you get that? And Chris Perkins was like, man, you can never have enough of those. Right. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know. And the reason was they were a quarter <laughs> a piece. Like today they're like $4, you know. So yeah. the, the inflation, miniature inflation in the last 20 years has been pretty yes. bad. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. And I guess my history kind of mirrors yours to that point. I'll, I'll jump in there. Sure. I started, uh, as best I can remember, I was around 12. I have a terrible memory. Anything that didn't happen two weeks ago was when I was 12. Uh, <laughs> but I think I was about 12, and we got the red box, which I think first edition advance was out at that time. Mm-hmm. But we got the red box, played it, you know, probably two or three months. Then we got into advance, and then we quickly went into second edition advance. And I think we'd used minis very rarely. I'm terrible at drawing maps. I mean, it's mm-hmm. very cliche. Everything I draw looks phallic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it happened to me last night. <laughs> I drew it out. They're all like, what did you draw? I'm like, what? It's a squid. Yeah. Like, that's not a squid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we kind of fell away from that when I played mostly theater of the mind or narrative until third edition came out. Mm-hmm. And then again, I don't know if it's because of the product line where they were kind of pushing the those characters, the, the wizard and Rothgar, and you could get the minis. But I kind of got into them. And I played with minis pretty much since then, right? Right up until fifth edition came out, right? Uh, right. I was playing with a buddy. We were playing fourth edition. You know, he was kind of enjoying it. We went to, a, to like the very first public playtest of fifth edition, and we didn't use maps or minis there. And as we were leaving, he said, "I like that so much better." Really? Yeah. He just he huh. the way he described it is when he played with maps and minis. When he thought back about the game, he always. It was like he could see himself like playing chess. Right. Like he was like looking over his own shoulder at the at the pieces. Right. And with that game, he's like, I felt like I was in a movie yeah. and I saw everything through yeah. my yeah. eyes. Yeah. And we kind of like, that was it. Like we, we have not used maps or many since then. Really? Okay. And uh, I'm the same way that I, now that I'm really embracing that type, I enjoy it better. Yeah. But I understand that's a subjective preference. It's not yeah. an objective yeah. truth. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I kind of jumped in the middle there. So no, go ahead that's, and keep that's, talking yeah. about what your journey. Well, yeah. So I'll, I'll, you know, it's it's long and boring. So I'll skip to the interesting parts. But yeah, three, three and a half. You know, three point five, three and a half, three point five. We uh, played with more maps and minis, uh, and I really got into it. And I was really like, I always felt like they didn't quite have the exact products I needed. Like the miniatures are coming out, but the miniatures aren't based on the adventures. That got really bad in, in fourth, and you know, fourth came out, and I remember being super excited because like finally. A game that actually embraces the style we're all playing, which was right. Maps and Minis at the time. And now there aren't five foot squares. There's squares. Right? Like yeah. everything is – you move a certain number of squares. Everything has an area effect. And I liked it because it kind of embraced a lot of the 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 simplification of combat that the D&D miniatures program had. Like the D&D miniatures rules were were very tactical, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, and they kind of embraced that forth. And I love that too for years. We played – I played, you know, a full 1 to 30 campaign. 
I played probably three or four other fourth edition campaigns. Uh, that was when Dwarven Forge kind of entered my life. My my wife bought me uh, the uh, tavern the, the the tavern set from Dwarven Forge, which meant we had lots of tavern fights over and yeah, over again. Of course, and and that really started the, the the cycle of Dwarven Forge. And I bought a lot of Dwarven Forge over the years. I backed all the Kickstarters. I've I bought you know a lot of the different sets they have. I've rotated through them, so I don't have like a house full of this stuff. Yeah. But I would often like when I would get a new set that was similar to an old set, I would sell the old set and sort of replace it with the new set because I love their Dwarvenite stuff. The, the the new the new style of Dwarven Forge is really really good and in my opinion okay. superior to the to the hard resin that they they used originally because you don't have to care. You can throw literally throw it in a big duffel bag. Like I have mine sitting in a in a big bag in the corner. <laughs> and um, but then yeah, so and then so fourth edition was heavy grid, and I don't think I really started to kind of see the other side of it in fourth. But then I started when, when fourth was, you know, kind of transitioning out and uh, there was sort of this explosion of new RPGs and we had like fate and 13th age and Numenera and what else? Dungeon world. Right. And these other games that really had a big focus that broke away from the grid. I think because there was a fair bit of criticism saying now it's just a tactical war game. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it's so embraced that, that, you know, it's going the other direction. And it was around that time that I started saying, like, yeah, this makes sense. Like, 13th Age in particular, you know, I really enjoyed. Now, the, the D&D Next playtest came around here, too. And like you, I started playing that with more theater of the mind. And, um, and I enjoyed that a lot. So, uh, you mentioned that, like, in the last couple of months, I've been thinking a lot about narrative combat but i'd argue i've been i've been thinking about it and using it and trying it since the play test the dnx okay. play test and i haven't like swung one way or the other to the way i see it and and i think I, I tweeted it to somebody today who was saying hey did you use do you use theater of the mind or do you use the grid when you ran horde of the dragon queen and i said well i, I think i use both and i suggest you know keep all the clubs in your bag and pull out whichever one yeah. works you know for the right, time yeah. You know, like you said, if you're not, you know, if you're if you're enjoying yourself, you're not doing it wrong. Absolutely. You know, you're doing it right. So, um, so I I, I tend to, I, I I believe that I I you know I offer that when people ask about it, but I also think about all of these styles a lot. You know, my wife who's sitting right over here, she knows that that <laughs> we have many conversations about this all the time, and um, so and there's there's a. You know, there's a, like a lot of facets and a lot of factors that come into this, and and keeping them all in my head at one time is pretty difficult. Sure. And and I think what happens is, you know, I think by writing, and I think by tweeting, <laughs> and so I tweet a lot of different things, and then I get angry people on all sides because <laughs> sure, <laughs> it's like I'm poking everyone else in the eye, and and the the theater of the mind people hate me for these big elaborate setups and the dwarven forge people hate me because i'm saying like what value is how much of an actual value does dwarven right. forge bring to the game and all these sorts of things and i'm like look i use all of it right <laughs> like i'm you know i'm just trying to i'm trying to understand all the facets and, and one of them is like beyond cost right there's there's a freedom that comes from theater of the mind and yeah accepting it having a group that accepts it this is this is something that i that i learned and that i tried out and it worked really well was even before i put a group together i made sure that the people that were joining the group understood that that was the style of play mm-hmm. right i said like i you know and i i even over exaggerated i said like i play theater of the mind so if if fighting on a grid with miniatures is important to you mine's probably not the game right 
and every and you know I got a, a bunch of people, great great folks. I, I'm lucky that I live in an area that where the gamer the gamer to human ratio is really high. <laughs> so you know it, it's generally not hard for me to find people to play. Um, we have a good FLGS nearby where we where we play on Sundays, and then I've I've had a, a, a pretty solid group of people at my home game. So I play twice a week, and both groups. So so the the home game has had people in it that have played through certainly through a lot of fourth edition and also fifth. So they've seen heavy, heavy grid, like literally my entire dining room table filled with a giant grid all the way to just theater of the mind for entire sessions. And, and they've, they're, they seem fine with it. I haven't had anybody that says, man, this sucks. I really want my grid back. They, they enjoy the grid. You know, Mm -hmm. they, they like the tactics once in a while too. Um, and and the other group, I, I do it as well. I'll pull out, you know, last last Sunday I pulled out a little Dwarven Forge thing, and I had people that literally said, "Thanks for bringing the Dwarven Forge. That was really cool, right?" Nice. So they 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 like it, but there's a there's a flexibility of not when you know that it doesn't matter when you know that you're not even going to try to put out maps and minis. The freedom for the game to head in all sorts of new and interesting directions is is pretty high, and it's and it's fun, like. You know, I've sat down and they're like, well, where do you, where do you think we're going today? I'm like, I don't have any idea. Right. Like, I'm going to give you three different options and they're all over the place and we're going to wing it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, that, and knowing that, like, I've got a, I, you know, even when I'm running Theater of the Mind, I still have a Paizo flip mat in front of me. Like, that is, of all of the tools that I, that I keep on hand, I always have that. And, but I don't tend to draw battle maps on it. I tend to write the names of monsters. And I sure. tend to keep hit points on it. And I tend to draw sketches of phallic looking squids. <laughs> and, you know, like that tool has worked really well. But having that flexibility of, of not saying like, I spent an hour and a half building out a really nice battle mat. They better go there. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, and, and that's the thing, as I'll say, is that if you spend the time, they will go there. Yeah. And, and sort of it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it follows the same sort of, you know, unwritten and, and often unspoken table rule of like, well, our expectation is that you came to sit down at this table to play Dungeons and Dragons. So you're going to have an adventurer that wants to go on adventures with other people. Right. <laughs> right. And if you're, if you're like, no, I really want to be a courtesan that's hanging out in the castle and I hate people. Well, you're not going to have fun in this game. Right. right? Yes. Like, go so write it's the same that thing. Yeah, bring a, right. Bring an adventure. Go write a book. Yeah. Go, go yeah. home and write a short story. And, um, and same thing. If you, if, if players sit down at a table and they see a great big four story Dwarven Forge set up, you, you know, they're not likely, they're, they're not going to mind too much when their characters start at the entrance and are headed on the way in. They're like, Hey, that's cool too. Yeah. But, but there is, I know that I've just felt this, um, this real freedom of, yeah, I, I've always been like minimalist. I, I love having just like this small portfolio, you know, with a battle map and some me- and some pens and pencils and some dice. And I don't need anything else, you know. And I can sit down at the table and run a game for for you know two or three hours and not have to set everything up. Um, yeah, that that's nice too. So yeah, so I don't I don't have a you know, and I, I think I don't think I ever will. I don't have like a preferred way, and I don't think there is you know. Like you said, like we're all, you know, whatever way we do it is, is whatever way is right for us is right for us. Yeah. Um, and I find what's right for me is probably constant and continual experimentation with all of them. <laughs> you know, right. like, and, I'm enjoying them a lot. And that's usually my, my first advice is whatever way you're enjoying now yeah. is great. But be open to the possibility right. of it, doing yeah. it different for right. one session. Right. Um, and that's kind of how we started where – you know, we were doing a campaign or what an adventure, 
And one of the characters snuck off by themselves. They're going through town and they got caught by one guard. So rather than mm-hmm. break out the maps, minis, I'm like, this is a one-on-one fight. It's a NPC. I think it lasted like two rounds. Yeah. Right. And, and it just, and it was over and it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. But if, but if I wanted to have like a big boss battle or I want to have a lot of environmental effects or I want to have like a wave of forces that come right. up on round four, this happens around eight right. happens. Yep. Then yeah, it makes a lot more sense to have a map for those, Yeah. but you don't need them for every bar fight, every skirmish. Right. It's, again, that's my opinion. So if you don't use them, try it. If yeah. you do use them, try it without some. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and that's that that to me is exactly that sort of like the right club for the right hit. That like a boss fight with a lot of interesting environmental features and um, you know, multiple waves of enemies. I literally ran one of those last night, you know, and I didn't actually have a Dwarven Forge set up and everyone kind of made fun of me because they're like, didn't you just interview Stephen Stephen Picorni like the <laughs> night before and you're playing with a flat mat? And I'm like, I'm like, hey, I've got this block, you know, let me put this block out there. And they all got out their phones and took a picture of the one block on the table. Yeah. And um, But it was like, it was pretty quick to build like an altar and steps that led up to the altar and kind of like interesting little things around it. And I just kind of grabbed stuff that I have on hand and, and built, you know, a pseudo dwarven i mean it was dwarven forge stuff it was like right. 12 pieces it wasn't like a big elaborate setup yeah. but it had waves of monsters and you know i had like you know my abolith right my abolith attack oh, nice. and, um you know and it was it was fun um uh, and i think people enjoyed it the interesting thing and and you know the, the i'm kind of a data nerd right i don't know if you picked that up following me on twitter I, yeah i've got that from some of your tweets <laughs> yeah so like I, I always ask the group like what did you enjoy and what would you like to see more of and the funny thing is that that you know that i think a couple of players that that were there both said that they what they liked was the finding these prisoners that were like trapped by their own psychic bonds they thought they were chained to the walls they thought they were bound and they weren't and they were so convinced that they were that when the players, when the characters dragged them away from the chains, they died. Like oh, they, wow. they had brain aneurysms and died, right? Like, and they were like figuring that out was, you know, really interesting. And, yeah. and I think, and no one said like, oh, I really like that altar fight. <laughs> yeah. It's like, huh, two waves and monsters and everything else. <laughs> I was pretty hard on them too, though. So that might have had something to do with it. It uh, that yeah. probably has something to do with it. So I'm trying to figure out a way to kind of break into this. So I guess what I would start with is we'll start with the basics, bare minimum. Mm-hmm. You have a graph sheet of graph paper. You might make some X's, might make some O's, but you're not necessarily working with a map or drawing a map. Mm-hmm. Where do you see that being beneficial? If someone's just starting and they're not quite sure of, like, when do you think that is the a good time, not the right time, but a good time to do that sort of version of maps and minis? So bare minimum for maps and minis, yeah, would be like the loose leaf piece of, paper that we used in school from a three ring binder and, <laughs> right. a, and a pencil you stole from the local uh, dog track right or a golf course a golf yeah. pencil right you stole it from the miniature golf place um yeah so that that would seem to be the minimum and i think like you know one of, one of the interesting things is like you look at uh lost minds of fandelver and the starter set it doesn't include maps and, or minis, right? And it's a great product. I think it's the best. I, I I think it's the best adventure they've written so far. You know, I love Fandelver. And mm-hmm. um, you think about a new player, and well, how would you run that, right? And if there's no minis, there's no maps. What would they do? Well, that seems like that would work. Take out a piece of paper, draw a picture of the road, put little X's where the goblins are, talk about where the characters are, and figure it out, right? And I mm-hmm. and I think that I think that that can work that way. 
Um, I do one criticism I have of fifth edition is I don't feel like I feel like from a promotional standpoint, they're using that style all the time. So if you watch the, you know, the like what Chris Perkins running it on Acquisitions Incorporated, he's got mm-hmm. like 4,000 people in the audience and a million people watching it on TV and, and YouTube. And he's running Theater of the Mind, right? Many yep. times. And, uh, but the game system doesn't, it has like a, like a half a page of the DMG that talks about kind of how to ar- arbitrate some of that stuff, mm-hmm. you know? And, and in my opinion, like they, they could have more, you know, like I shouldn't have to write a guide for this. They should have some that says yeah. when you're, you know, wh- how to abstract distances that are set in five foot squares. And so I think from like that starter set standpoint of drawing things out on a piece of paper, I think if, I mean, I'm, I'm making this up. I don't, you know, I didn't do a study of 50 new DMs and watch sure, them yeah. run it, but it, it feels like they would get stuck with the, well, it says burning hands is a 15 foot cone. How the hell do I handle this on this paper <laughs> paper that doesn't have a grid? Right. And it's like, right. wing it. It hits two. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like it shouldn't matter. So, so I, I think that can work, but I think there's still, and I think the starter set is a fantastic product, but I think there's still this slight gap that's, that could tell a new DM how to run D and D and kind of giving him the permission to run D&D with a loose leaf piece of paper and a golf pencil. So you know? I, I think what you've kind of touched on there, again, just to jump around, yeah. is for me and my experience with playing Theater of the Mind, again, pretty much exclusively now for several years, is that I'm comfortable with winging it. Mm-hmm. And I'm very comfortable with my players asking questions. Mm-hmm. And they say, can I get all the goblins without hitting Rathgar? Right. No, you can get four of the goblins, but you right. hit Rathgar, or you can get three and not hit Rathgar. Right. I have no idea where they're at. Like there is in my <laughs> mind, I don't have a map. Yeah. I'm just thinking, what's the most fun? Right. I'll give them a challenge. Sure. I'll give them a, sure. a gray area choice. You get four, but Rathgar, three without. What yep. do you do? That's yep. interesting. And but the thing is, you have to have players. I think that 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 enjoy that. And yes, what it comes down to is the trust. Yeah. Is if the yeah. players don't trust the GM is going yep. to be fair. Yep. Then the map gives them power. Yep. Because they can say, "No, I'm right here, mm-hmm. and this is the 15 foot cone. I'm definitely not in it." Mm-hmm. And again, nothing wrong with that style, but I think for me personally, I like the improvisational nature of being mm-hmm. able to wing it. But I think you're. I think that it, how do you how do you teach trust? How you know how yeah. do you how do you get a DM to build trust? Right. You. It, you can't really, unless you play and people enjoy it, then they kind of trust you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think to me, that's that's probably the biggest key, whether, not whether you enjoy it or not, but how well it works mm-hmm. is you have to have a group that trusts you and you as the DM, you have to be playing somewhat unfair for the players, I think, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that that's a, um, that, that, you know, I'll, I'll start, I'll start with your last comment and work backwards. Okay. The, um, that that idea, I, I think, a, a way to make theater of the mind more, pal- more more palatable to people is when they feel like they're getting away with stuff they wouldn't get away with on a grid, yeah. right? So they're getting it like, wow, I can hit three people, but are, are they grouped up? Like that doesn't matter. You're hitting them anyway, yeah, right? right? And like, wow, or I can you know I can line them up with a lightning bolt. Sure, you can, right? Wow, yeah. okay. Or can I move all the way up to that guy? Yes, you can. You know, my speed's only 20. I'm a dwarf in plate. Doesn't matter. You can make it. Right. So um, I think when 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 
players and this kind of gets into abstract maps which i think will you know if we're going to go with the, the hierarchy of, of types right. we can talk about that one but um so that that's one of it but that that idea of trust is absolutely you're right it's absolutely paramount what i what i think is interesting is i think trust is paramount period like it, it's not a theater of the mind versus grid thing if you don't trust your dm it's probably not a great game <laughs> like yeah. it doesn't matter yeah. now what's interesting is the most criticism i saw so i i, po- I posted a poll on the Facebook Adventurers League group um, asking the Adventurers League, you know, the, the, whoever was would respond to the poll, were they interested in guidelines, in Adventurers League guidelines for running narrative combat? And and um, it was pretty much, it was like, I, I want to say it was like 80% didn't want guidelines for Theater of the Mind. It was, it was pretty heavy against... Theater of the Mind guidelines and Adventures League. And the comments were kind of interesting too. I tend to try to avoid the comments because my emotions will sway my weighting of the the value of them, right? The ones I agree with, I will, you know, give a higher Thumbs vote up. to than the yeah. people I don't agree with. It just makes me mad. But I remember people saying like, I, I said a lot of, you know, not a lot, I don't know, not, not, I'm not necessarily a representative sample who said um, that, uh, they don't trust their DMs. Like in Adventures League, they play Adventures League because they want to play D&D, but the DMs are not, you know, great and they don't like them. And they don't, they feel like a lot of Adventures League DMs don't know how to run games. They're not that great at it. And they, um, they'll sway battles if they don't have a grid. Like they, they don't trust them. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of understand, like you go to Gen Con, you go to one of these conventions and you sit down there and you've never played with a DM before and you're expecting that the DM, uh, you know, you, you, you've got a character, you've got things you want to do, and, um, you're, you're afraid the DM's never going to let you do them, particularly if the DM has all of the authority about deciding how a battle goes. Yeah. Um, and I remember, like, I was, I sat down at one Adventures League game where we sat down and the, the player was like, went to the DM and said, just to let you know, I am playing an assassin. The assassin's main benefit is being able to surprise an enemy. Please give me opportunities to surprise an enemy. Sure, yeah, yeah. And you could tell, like, that's coming because he got screwed out of, like, five other games. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? He's like, all day, like, when am I going to get to surprise somebody? When am I going to do that thing? So if, that, I think that I think that some of it comes from that, that particularly in organized play, because you don't necessarily know your, your DM, yeah. um, there's probably less trust there. Uh, but I do feel like, you know, if – if I, 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 I'd say go with it anyway. Like – DMs that are trained and, you know, and have experience in running theater of the mind, um, I think they'll, they'll be more trustworthy because they kind of hold that power. Yeah. Right. So, um, I, I, I know, and I've, I've, I've made this, this statement and other ones. Again, one of the many variables that kind of sit in my mind when I think about sure. this topic, um, is how I feel when I put a grid out. And I feel competitive when there's a grid on as a DM. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel competitive when there's not. You know, and, and that to me, that's interesting. And that's another one that kind of sways me towards, I, I like, I like theater of the mind. One of the most memorable fights I, 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 you know, memorable fights I can remember. Um, <laughs> one of the most memorable fights I can remember recently was they were on a storm. They were in, this is in Storm King Thunder and they went up to, um, Linar Mall, the cloud giant castle and they were fighting there was they were like being stalked by a cloud giant guard as they're kind of navigating around they use pass without tracer some tomfoolery to make themselves basically invisible and they're wandering around and this guard's like finding them and then they're trying to climb up this wall and one of them slips off of the wall and lands in the palm of the giant and he's like there you are you know and i was like there's no grid here 
And then I had them all roll initiative, and some of them are staying out there firing. And the giant's turn was there, and he took the guy and just threw him over his shoulder. And now he's falling 500 feet off of the castle wall, right? Yeah. And it was like, there's no grid. And everyone's like, oh, my, like, they all the players, like, stopped and looked at the guy who got thrown. And he's like, it's okay, I got it. <laughs> I'm like, how do you got it? You just got thrown <laughs> off a castle. It's like, I'm good. They're like, you're good. So, and I just remember that because it was like, the, you know, that, that sort of imagery of, of a guy slipping, falling from a wall and landing in the palm of the hand of the guy that's been hunting him. You don't get that when you're like, you got your six bad guys on one side and your six good yeah. guys on another and, you know, 25, you know, five squares between them and little protractors to figure out the size of a fireball. Right. Well, and I've even done things like I've, I've wanted to have these battles where you're on like platforms. Yeah. That right. Are like up yep. and down and they're, and yep. they're moving around. Yep. And, if I actually tried to diagram that out and like construct a thing with like paper plates and dowel rods, yeah, one, it's going to look like crap because I'm not talented <laughs> right. at all to do that. And two, it may not work. Like I may put in hours building this thing right. that when we actually tried it, it just, it doesn't work. Yeah, it falls when flat, I can just yeah. make it up and say, yeah. you're on a platform. Right. Uh, what do you want to do? I want to attack that one. Roll a D six. If you get an even number, you can, if you get an odd number, you can't. Right. You know, yep. and yep. I'm, I'm going to try and make it as cool and interesting as I can yeah. and as fair as I can, but I'm always going to lean a little bit towards my players because yeah. I feel like because I, I have the control that's the way I make sure that I don't abuse it. Right. You know, right. cause I, I might have like one thing that I just want to have happen, happen, you know, like, okay, this thing does get to do this cool thing, Yeah. Right. but then you get to like do your thing, you know, that right. type of stuff. Right. Right. Okay. So, so we're going to move a little bit past yes. just graph paper and X's and O's. Right. Um, you're talking about abstract, like 13th age. If it yep. wasn't for fifth edition, I think 13th age is the game yep. I would be playing. I really I, like I agree. It. Yep. Uh, and they started with the, like you're engaged or you're close or you're far. Like those are the three ranges, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and they have they have some other ones like grouped, and um, I, I know that they have a grouped tag, if you will. Okay. So, yeah, they like close. Yeah, you know, nearby, far away, engaged, and I think grouped. And I don't know that there's any others. There's there's like front and back. Okay. You know they they but they're they're real loose. So because I remember one of the games I played of that we we had. It wasn't even a map. It was just like a sheet of paper. And we had minis mm -hmm. and the DM would just like put them together. Yeah, right. Like we weren't spatially related to anything. But it's right. like, okay, you're engaged with this goblin. Our two minis are now put together in this little area to show that. Mm -hmm. And we weren't close to something else. So I kind of think of that as like the middle ground. Sure. Or the next step up. Yeah, yeah. And the interesting thing about that is you can kind of go all in with what it, with your battle maps and still run that way. I ran – so I, 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 I think we ran a pretty – we ran, I, I, I played a lot of 13th age and it was kind of between the D and D next. I think we kind of paused on the D and D next play test for a while and we knew fifth was coming out. Um, and we, I think we basically played 13th age for a year. We played Pathfinder. We played 13th age. We played a lot of kind of different stuff. And I still pulled out all the Dwarven Forge and built these big arrays. I had, I think I had my tallest Dwarven Forge thing ever, which was like a, you know, 12 story tall tower that was like this ruined tower with a big demon on top and um uh yeah and it worked perfectly well it's just like no the grid didn't matter like you, they're still nearby and a lot of times i'd be like that guy's near that guy's far you know i would just yeah. kind of point at guys and and that worked really well no one counted squares and that that taught me like a year of that sort of taught me how i now work with a grid which is i i don't Every, both both my groups now recognize that you don't look at the grid boxes anymore. We don't, yeah. you know, we don't, I mean, every so often somebody does it, but it's pretty rare. 
And most of the time, people just say, can I get over there? And we're like, yep, you know, or can you get over there? Nope. Oh, wait, you're a monk? Yes, you can. You know, like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and no one, because to me, just counting squares is boring. <laughs> yes. Like. Well, and one thing I'll mention there, because again, I, I'm pretty passionate about theater of the mind. Yeah. And again, again, I know it's a subjective choice. Sure. But one of the things that I run into a lot online when we're talking about this is the, the, the main argument I get is people are always confused. Mm-hmm. I thought I was by the goblin. I right. thought that yep. goblin was dead. Yep. I'm, I'm not on the bridge. He's on the bridge. Right. Absolutely. That yeah. happens. Yeah. And, you know, the more yeah. you do it, you get better at it. And I, right. I have some techniques I'll share later on how I've, I've sure. done that. Yeah. But I've also dealt with the, okay, I'm going to go here. I count my squares. Yeah. No, wait, I, I can't get there. So mm-hmm. I'll go this way and count my squares. Wait, where did I start from? Yeah. You know, that happens all the time when you yeah. count squares. So you, you just have different <laughs> problems. You don't right. have no problem. You just have different ones sure. when you're counting yeah. squares. I can't yeah. tell you how many times I've had that. I don't know where I started from situation where you're just like, I don't hear, I guess. And you start over and you spend five minutes like counting which square to finally figure out where you can go. And then you're like, oh, I'm one square short. Right. That's the most boring oh. turn in the world. Oh, yeah. And I, when I play in AL, that happens. Like I, I finally switched over to range guys. Because it's like I don't oh, want to. Yeah. I don't ever not. I, I don't ever want to not have something to do. And my stupid dwarf only moves five squares. And I'll be damned if those guys aren't always <laughs> sixty feet away. Yep. It's going to take me three rounds, and they'll all be dead. Or the DM yep. will say, "Well, we're just going to call it right here." Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I already yeah. got to swing anything. <laughs> you know that happens a lot. But yeah, that 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 um yeah that the idea. I mean, I, I remember another another AL game I was in where there was you know it wasn't heated, but it was like a long discussion about whether or not somebody was within range of someone else's counter spell when they cast a fireball. And I was like, oh, it was like five feet we were talking about. And I was like, oh, I'm bored. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Say you counter spell it or not, you know, but it was like. Flip a coin, let's move on. Well, yeah. And and that one, like, it was a reasonable discussion because it was like the guy said, I specifically put my guy there so that my fireball will be out of range of the counter spell. And I have counter spell, so I know how far counter spell can go. My character knows how far counter spell can go. And I said, well, that it would have been nice if you said that. Like, I'm going to stay out of range of counterspell and fire off a fireball right like you could say that narratively and not yeah. have an argument about squares you know yeah. and and that's the one thing i would like to kind of train i'd like to figure out how to train players better is is that sort of the narrative description like tell me what you want to do right you know tell don't assume you can't and yeah what you tell do, me your intent i'll adjudicate it Right. We had a, we had a conversation in, in one of my games where, um, somebody was, was talking about certain skills that she didn't want to take for her character. And I felt bad because I was like, I didn't want to limit a character because we play theater of the mind. I want yeah. p- people to, and, and I thought about it. And I was like, how could that work better? And, and it's, it was sort of like, well, if your ability is, I want to be able to stay adjacent to an ally and give them a, you know, I forget exactly what the power was, but it's definitely like you needed to be adjacent to an ally while you were attacking an enemy. And it created some kind of combo thing. I don't remember what it was exactly. And I was like, but if you just told me that's what you want, it'll happen. You know, like, I want, is there a way that I can be adjacent to my ally and also attacking that enemy? And you're like, sure. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) And then you get to use your power. Right. Yeah. So, um, but I, I don't, yeah, I don't, even, even with, with players who are very experienced in playing theater of the mind, I don't know that that's kind of clicked yet for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that idea, there's still a lot of how far away is that guy? And I'm like, it yeah. doesn't matter. Tell me, you know, describe what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And it's always like, I'd like to hit him with a burning hands. No problem. You know, like it's yeah. very rare. Where they're like, how far away are they? And I say, you know, 37 close. and a half feet. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, I guess I can't hit him with my 180 foot Eldrick Blast. And you're like, oh, right. come on. <laughs> like, why do we have this conversation? <laughs> yes, you can hit it with Eldrick Blast. Right. 
So, so, I, so what we're talking about now basically is sort of combining both of the best elements yes, together, yeah. you know, in a new sort of thing, which I think is awesome. And we'll probably get into that more. Yeah. Uh, so the next thing I want to talk a little bit about is drawing your own maps or sure. having pre-printed maps. Yeah. Like, do you have a preference over those two? Because I'm just, you know, obviously you make your own. You can design it exactly how you want it. But if you're like me and your art's terrible. Yeah. Uh, I mean, or, I, I, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. Um, I definitely like pre-printed when I, if I'm, if I know what it's going to be. And, and uh, Dave Chalker, the guy that runs Critical Hits, he uh, had a really good point, which is that kind of building the adventure around the maps that you have when they're pre-printed can work really well. So this is where... Yep. Uh, wizards, if you, if you're lucky enough to get them, this is one of the problems that kind of happens with most maps and miniatures too, is stuff comes in print and then out of print. And it's like, well, if you were the lucky one who managed to pick them up, you're in, you're, you're great. But if you're right. getting in now, you can't get them. And the fantastic locations I mentioned before, not Sly Flourish's fantastic locations, but the, <laughs> the wizards product called fantastic locations, uh, which had battle maps pre-print like i think it was like four or six pre-printed battle maps that were intended for use in dd miniatures but could also be used for rpg play um if you were lucky enough to pick those up they're beautiful maps and they reprinted them in, an, in another series uh they uh, that they did i think in the end of the fourth edition era uh they would print these um sets of six maps three three double-sided poster maps and they were cheap. They were like fifteen dollars or something for six maps. And I, you know, I bought as many of them as I could. Sure. And they're they're great because you can slide them under like a piece of acrylic, which which I you know I think works really well for these maps because they're paper, so they'll tear if you bang on them too hard. Um, and they look great. And then you build your adventure around the things that are in the map. You know, you kind of do the map first, and then say, okay, now what's in that room, and yeah. what monsters are going to be here, and what monsters going to be there. And it's like you say, my artistic talent sucks for maps too. It tends to work way better when you have a nice, pretty map that, you know, where, yeah. with everything you can see. So so my experience with that, because, again, that makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Like, when you said it, makes sense. If someone else had said it to someone, probably makes sense. But it just never clicked to me to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I got, had a chance to play with Rich Baker at mm -hmm. three or four Gen Cons ago. Mm -hmm. And I saw him do that where he clearly just had a bunch of maps. Right. But when we had the adventure, he had designed the adventure around what the map was. Right, sure. And and I was like, that is that's genius. Right. You know, like <laughs> it's like why had it, you know, like the light came on, like you're an idiot. Well, I've never thought about yeah, that. Yeah. You know, because when I would try to draw my own maps so they would be exactly what I needed them to be. Yeah, right. Particularly but, if it's a published adventure, right? Yeah. Uh, and again, not only am I terrible at art, but I know that. But one of the things that 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 bothers me is the transition. Mm -hmm. Okay, you know, we build up to this great yes. big battle mm -hmm. and everybody take 15 minutes while I draw this out. I'm going to yeah. try to draw it really fast because I don't want to take forever. So it's even worse than if I had taken right. my time. <laughs> uh, so then the map ends up being kind of useless. Yeah. It's not as effective, but it's quicker. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, taking the idea of just taking a map and then just making your adventure around it is so simple. And yeah. absolutely do that. It's or, or you can draw the map out ahead of time. Mm -hmm. But then I think you still run into the problem. Well, if I drew this map, we're going to fall. Yeah, right. We're using it, right? Yeah. And, and 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 getting back to that sort of competitive edge, I do feel like when you when you if you spend a lot of time sort of drawing out a map, it's not like you want that battle to be over in one round either. So if the characters yeah. come in and banish your big bad guy, and the battle's over, you know, you're like, man, I'm so glad I spent an hour and a half draw, ha you know, hatch hatching that map up to make it look really nice <laughs> Yes. When, when they get, they cast banish and it's over where in a narrative combat you're like you know i i have no investment at all i literally just said yeah. it you know like 
I just said yes. it and now they banished it. And now I don't care because I didn't even know it existed 30 yeah. seconds ago. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. So there's, there's that same thing. Yeah. I, I do. I, I will say that I do draw maps too. And a lot of times they're, they're, you know, I don't fit them to a grid, but they're just sort of, you know, the, the dry erase equivalent of the golf pencil and the, 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 the piece of loose leaf paper. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like, hey, here's what the hallway looks like, you know, and it's not to scale. It's not, you know, I'll just sketch it out real quick. Right. Um, mostly so that everybody's on the same page. You talked about that earlier, that that, that people's mm-hmm. complaints are, I don't know what the hell's going on. And, you know, yeah. that's where like a, just a quick sketch, you know, can kind of get everybody. Ah, oh, okay. So that's where the hell that thing is. You know? right. the, the, the hard one was like the other day when I was drawing out the – uh, the room from White Plume Mountain where the water is uh, – there's a river that's floating in the middle of the room. And, you know, one of the players is like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Right? Yeah. Like, how can water be floating in the middle of the room? And I didn't have the picture. There's like art that goes with it. Sure. But I didn't have the art because it's in the old one, not the current one. So I had to like draw this isometric version of the room <laughs> with the water going through it. And he's like, huh. You know? Yeah. Imagine there's a pipe, but the pipe's invisible. Yeah, yeah, that that would have been. I wish I had that. That would have been, that would have saved me a lot of isometric drawing. Nice. Um, so one of the other things about maps, uh, if you get the pre-printed ones that I've come come to enjoy a little bit, is mm-hmm. if I draw my own map, I obviously know everything that's on it. Right. If I pull out a map, I may go, okay, this map has some water. So when I divine the adventure, I'll put some water stuff in there. But you you don't know it intimately, so right. so you can have some fun with the players. Go, hey, I'm gonna get in that nook. Yeah. Or is this a ledge? Yeah. And, and you still have some, you know, ex- exploration and some experience yourself going, oh, okay. Yeah, that is cool. What Let's is do that? that? Yeah, right. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, so that does, I, I didn't think about that. That that using a pre-printed map that you don't know intimately gives you that opportunity for improvisation mm-hmm. that you might not have if you were drawing it out. That, yeah, because if I'm yeah, going to draw it out, I'm going to think. I've done know, that, but I've never thought of it that way. <laughs> you know, the kobolds live here. Yeah. They probably know this. there's a tunnel here, or I'm going to draw <laughs> right, a tunnel here. Right, right. You know, and like you said, the competitive nature is like, well, this is their home turf. Yeah. I'm going to design it like they really know how to design every, it. Every nook that the character tries to hide in is filled with traps. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. You're screwed. Right, right. So, so do you think the next step up is like Dwarven Forge, or do you think there's another step in the middle between just having pre-printed maps or maps you've drawn yourself? I, I would, I mean, I would probably jump to to something like Dwarven Forge. I mean, there's, you know, there's a range with all of these things, but the, that feels the idea of 3D terrain, whatever it is, Hearst Hearst Art Molds or uh, Fat Dragon Games with their 3D the, the 3D cardboard stuff, or uh, Reaper is now starting to put out more and more uh, sort of um, miniature you know inanimate miniatures you know i have i have like a little church thing a little a little uh mausoleum that they put in the last kickstarter okay so so that but the idea of like physical 3d stuff feels like the next logical okay leap to so me. so what is because i've played on jordan forge like twice and it wasn't mm-hmm. a good experience for me oh really so what yeah. is it about that's interesting <laughs> and, and i'll, I'll I'd like to, to dig that. into that more yeah yeah uh so what is it about that you th- do you think it's more immersive? Do you think it's just a novelty? Is it, do you think for people who maybe aren't good at imagining things or people aren't good describing things? It's like, that's what it looks like. I don't have to go into a two page, you know, monologue about every nook and cranny. Just look, there it is. So what do you think is so valuable about using those? those I I really do feel like it's a big step up from the pre-printed maps. Um, that it, it, you know, where the pre-printed map, you kind of get an idea of like, is that a wall or is that not a wall? 
or it's actually a wall. Right? Like in Dwarven <laughs> Forge, you have a wall. There's no yes. doubt that there's a wall. And and one of the things that I that I talk about and 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 you know the unsolicited advice I often offer with Dwarven Forge is whenever you can make it 3D, you know, have mm. platforms and have levels. And you know, I had one recently where I just kind of was playing around with some of the pieces I had and built like a five layered canyon wall with this switchback road that went all the way up to the top, you know, okay. and I could, could put bad guys all along this Canyon road. And I, and then of course I would abstract it and say like, it looks like it's only 10 feet, but it's actually like 30. So you can't just leap up the side. You have to go up the wall. Okay. You know? Yeah. And, but still people could look at it and be like, that's cool. There's this like, you know, there's this layered thing there. So I, it, I think it, the texture, I, I guess I would say the texture is, is really where, the, you know, the, 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 the advantage of that lies that when you, it's, it's one thing, to have like a pre-printed map that has a picture of an altar on it. And it's something else to have an altar that is as detailed as the miniatures that are on it. Mm-hmm. And in some cases more detailed than the miniatures that are on it, you know? So, I mean, it, it just, it, it feels like your entire thing has the same resolution that a miniature has, you know, a good detailed miniature, mm-hmm. you know, if you were to expand that detail out to the whole rest of the room, that's what you get. I mean, the details that they put in these Dwarven Forge things, these tiny little puddles that are on top of the f- floors and, yeah. you know, the little, like, algae. You can look at the cavern wall and you can see algae on, like, a, you know, a part of the cavern wall. And every one of them is like that. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that texture. That texture, I think, adds a lot. Okay. Yeah. So, so what I was, the question I was going to ask is, so when you use this, how much time are you spending – putting this together like is this like a 20 minute before people show up or is this like a two-hour process to get ready for the game i think the number of times so you know this is a good one to survey the entire dwarven forge community i think and find out like how they do it and and there's definitely like a dollar to hour value where since it's you know probably it's number one limitation is how expensive it is it's it's not cheap and you know, if somebody spends a lot of money on it, they're not going to mind spending a lot of time setting it up. Yeah. Um, I would say that, you know, probably the average is about a half hour to 45 minutes okay. for, depending on the setup. But I've definitely had some that you remember I, I mentioned earlier, like a full size dining room table thing that had Dwarven Forge in it, but it also had a lot of other stuff. That was a, I think that was a multi-session game we were running where I rebuilt like a plane, like the lowest plane of chaos, you know? <laughs> and it was like the whole thing was black with like this red spider web that went across it all and these little platforms that they could leap to and monsters that they were fighting. Yeah, it was like, it was the final, well, near the final conclusion of a 30 level adventure in 4E. So I really wanted to go about it. that one took hours to put right. together. But yeah, I, you know, and, and I've been experimenting and, 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 and I've been talking on like the Dwarven Forge forum on, on Facebook about it. And I did it at, um, my game on, so both the game yesterday I, I ran and the game that I ran last Sunday, where it was like, how fast can I build something that is cool? Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't take forever, you know? So, um, the Oni, are you familiar with White Plume Mountain? I, uh- Vaguely. So there's, there's a room where, like, you go through this terrible dungeon, and all of a sudden you go into this room, and it's this palatial place, and there's this halfling smoking weed sitting there. <laughs> He's smoking a big a big uh, hookah. And um, I wanted to build that room. Like, I actually have a little miniature hookah. I have all this stuff. So I was like, I'm, I want to build that room, and it'll be kind of this fun thing. And, I, and the funny thing is I built that one twice because I built it at home to make sure I could, and then tore it down, and then took it to the shop, and then built it again. And it still was only, like, maybe 10 minutes. You know, it was mm-hmm. it was quick to build out that room. And um and then other other kind of bigger dungeons they might take a half hour 45 minutes but yeah they they definitely take longer than 
the, the you know theater of the mind, right? right? <laughs> Takes well, no yeah. time at all. But I guess what I was trying to compare the two is like either having a pre-printed map or drawing your own, the time it would take for that. So if I'm going to sit down and draw a map and yeah. do a decent job, yeah. I'm probably looking at half an hour. Yeah, and I, and I bet you, I know that for me, drawing a decent map and placing it out with Dwarven Forge is about the same amount of time. Okay. For me. But then yeah. you have the portability that I can carry 12 maps yes. in a, my folder. Right. right. Probably only going to get one Dwarven Forge set up unless I have a pickup truck. Yes. Uh, yeah. So for me, when I when I see like people have posted pictures, like obviously some of like the most elaborate setups, yeah, right, like, right. And, We're cherry picking our cherry picking the top, yeah, the top one yeah, exactly, percent, yeah, the top one percent, uh, yeah. But there's a part of me that like that if I were to walk into a game like a Gen Con where I don't know yeah. anybody and, and I see that, yeah, I'm gonna have two kind of reactions. I think the first one is going to be this this DM has a plan. Like yeah. this, they're not joking around. They they know where everything is in this adventure. Right. Right. We're going to get some very interesting encounters. Right. But I'm also going to get. We're going to fight the whole time. Yeah. So that that's an interesting. So this is something that um I I kind of learned in the last Dwarven Forge Kickstarter. They did a lot of videos and a lot of discussion about how they designed. They the, the last one they sort of had these pre built rooms. So one of the backer one of the things that you backed was these pre-planned rooms. And what I what I noticed was that they actually had a lot of room for exploration mm. in those rooms. They were like heavy, heavy with traps. And traps are typically, they don't, they're not really combat, right? Like you've you right. got to f- figure it out and see it, figure out how to disarm it and fail and get your head cut off. And <laughs> yeah. Found it! Yeah, right. Uh, but then I was thinking more, so, so I was watching that and I was watching the design of those and I'm like, these are not like combat battle arenas that is pretty much what I've been building yeah. for like 10 years, right? Is battle arenas. Like I, it's got to be a big room. It's got to have room for people to move. It's got to have 3d stuff for archers to sit up top. It's got to have some kind of weird, you know, monument in the center that does something evil until you turn around and it does something good. They're all going to be like that. Right. And, and I remember like, um, you know, there's certain video games that I've played. Uh, God, there's one in particular and I can't remember the name of it, but uh, where like you would run, it was sort of like a tactical combat, action game okay and you'd be running around and you'd run into like a hallway uh i know that um mass effect did this certainly but I, there was okay. another game that was even more you know more stark and you'd look around and just by the objects that were sitting you're like oh i'm gonna be in a fight right mm-hmm. like there's the cover there's that thing that's gonna explode if i shoot it there's this those gears that's where the war. guys gears of war that's exactly what i was yep. thinking about gears of war you yep. know and gears of war like you just turn a corner and you're like oh here's a Battle Here's coming up, right? Yeah. Like I need rock walls to slam up against, you know. Yeah. And um, so, so Dwarven Forge, I thought felt like that, and then I saw how they were designing this new one. And I was like, you could run really an entire D and D adventure in a Dwarven Forge setup, and it could be conversations, and it could be uh, exploration. You know, it doesn't have to be combat mm-hmm. the whole way. Um, and that's something I hadn't really thought about, but now definitely is wired into my brain. So, like that that room I mentioned before. They spent 15 minutes talking to that halfling and exploring the room and seeing that the sword that they've been hunting for the whole time is sitting on the back shelf of that room. But they were afraid to touch it because they didn't know what that's going to set up. And right. sure enough, they got into a big fight and fought stone golems and, a, and an oni. But, you know, there was a fair bit of conversation and a fair bit of exploration before they got involved in combat. Even so though wasn't just they got to see it. combat, room combat. Exactly. Room yeah. Combat. It's not just a hallway and then, and then a battle arena. Yeah. Okay. So my experience that I mentioned before that wasn't great, mm-hmm. this and I've talked about this game several times on our show. It's probably the worst experience I've ever had D and D 
which a lot of good came from it, but it was it was bad. Lots of reasons why. Mm-hmm. And one of was this was the DM wasn't putting a lot of work into the game. Now, life issues right. aside, I don't know. Maybe he couldn't. That's fair. But then when we would go into the combat, he would still want to use his Dwarven Forge. So basically, he hadn't planned anything. Ah. We, and then he would want to just make it as like, almost like drawing a map. He's like, okay, we're yeah. going to fight. And then it would be like a 20 to 30 minute thing where oh, he would like yeah. go and like pits. put them together. <laughs> yeah. And then it'd be like halfway through, he'd be like, oh no, I don't want that one here. Yeah. It was just, it, it ruined any excitement yeah. or tension. Sure, sure. So it just, it wasn't a good experience. And it yeah. was very clear Anytime the Dwarven Forge came out, it was a combat. And I'm on record. I think combat's the least interesting part of D&D. Yeah, that's another stat that I have where I said, like, yes. what's, what are the pillars of D&D that people enjoy the most? And it turns out interaction is almost two to one over the others. I think, uh, I think combat's easier. Uh, like, if you're yeah. a brand new DM, you have the math is there for you. Yeah. This right. is how much damage a PC can do. This is right. what the armor class is. Here's a monster. Challenge rating, the math's a little wonky, but at lower levels, it kind of works. Right. So I think it's easier for a new DM without a lot of training to to build a battle, and mm-hmm. it, it's fun. You roll dice and you kill the goblins. Mm-hmm. I just I just think after after a while you start to transition from that, or some people do. I I yeah. did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I got away yeah. from that. Yeah, and you're and you're right that I think this is a problem with the whole maps, the the maps and minis thing too. Although you know, I think what I was talking about previously is sort of another way to get around it which is when the maps and the minis hit the table, that means we're getting into a fight. Mm-hmm. And it sort of narrows, it, it forces and narrows the options. And actually, this is sort of like a DM preparation question that I've, that I've been noodling through and kind of thinking about in a different way. We, we typically thought of like, well, in my next game, I'm going to have three combats, one interaction scene, and two exploration scenes. And I've stopped doing that. Instead, I say like, what's the situation? Mm-hmm. You know, and the situation is this, and there's hostile people there, but that doesn't mean they're fought. They could be cat kidnapped or knocked out with a sleep spell or, you know, a number of different ways. Yeah. And I, I don't presuppose what kind of scene it's going to be or how the characters are going to solve it. It's there's a there's a pirate ship in a cove. There are 36 pirates. There's, you know, 16, like, pirate veterans, and there's the captain and the captain's war mage, you know, and they're there, and they've kidnapped this other, you know, merchant group, and they have this evil thing, but they suck it over in this alco over here. And then it's up to the players, players. to figure out, you yeah. know? And again, like, if you if you sort of say, like, I don't know where the combat is going to be, so I don't have a combat map ready, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, that's, that's, uh, uh, that's where Theory of the Mind can really help. Yes. Um... But yeah, and yeah, I, I, that that sounds terrible. <laughs> the idea of getting building the Dwarven Forge out oh, you know, was, during yeah. the game. That, that's, and the thing is, it wasn't like the game yeah. was fun until that point either. It was it was yeah, a bad right. game. There was so much wrong with it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but to the to the point, like you just said, is one of the things I've said before as well. Is that I, at this point, I don't plan. I prep. Yeah, I, I think there's a difference between the two. Sure. Yeah, I, I prep. Who are the bad guys? What do they yep. want? What resources do they have? Right. And then I just sort of like, you know, it's almost like, a, like an improv game. I do the setup. Yeah. Like you said, there's a pirate ship. There's 36 yep. pirates. Go. And right. once I say go, it's all on the players. Yeah, I have no idea how it's going to go. Exactly. Yeah. And I'll right. just like, okay, I know there's 36 pirates. There's right. probably four on guard, dude. There's probably exactly. eight asleep. Ex- you know, you know you're, you're, just, you're hitting it on the head. That's exactly well, right. You know, whatever yeah. makes sense and kind of go with it. Yeah, yeah. So so it's circled back now. We'll, we, we kind of touched on it, but talk about theater of the mind. Sure. So obviously the freedom, you don't, mm-hmm. you know, you're not stuck to a map. You're not yep. stuck to a plan. Cost. Cost. <laughs> it costs zero. It costs zero. <laughs> and you have an unlimited special effects that's, budget. That's exactly right. The unlimited special effects budget. Yeah. Um, 
but I think some of the, the the negatives is again if you don't have trust, right, or if you just have players who aren't sure how to handle that, mm-hmm. you get a lot of confusion. Yep. Yep. Uh, now, what I have done, uh, I consider myself to be a pretty good theater mm-hmm. of the mind DM these days, mm-hmm. um, is I reset the situation mm-hmm. every turn. Yep. So yep. it's like, okay, Rothgar, you just saw the ogre take out the wizard. The wizard's unconscious. Sarah over there is fighting two goblins on the bridge that's on fire, mm-hmm. and Steve's behind you shooting from the ridge. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and then once his turn's over, I'm like, okay, Sarah. You're fighting two goblins. You just saw wrath, you know. So I'm having to repeat myself a lot, mm-hmm. but that that makes sure we're always on the same page because that gives someone a chance to say, no, no, no. I remember I killed that goblin. Right. You go, oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So I don't do a thing where like the two goblins killed your character, then we have to go backwards. Like, no, yeah, okay, there's right. one goblin. So it gives people a chance to to correct me yep. before I make any mistakes. Right. And that's right. probably the number one thing I would say to, yeah. to be get good at it yeah. is just reset the scene yeah. every time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I heard that re- relatively recently, I think, and that's something that I hadn't been doing particularly well. I, I don't, I'm actually, I've, I've run Theater of the Mind a bunch, but like I said, I kind of switch between event, you know, switch between types and I use, probably I use abstract maps the most often. Um, cause again, I got an army full of miniatures here and sure. I got all the stuff sitting around. So, um, but yeah, I, that's something I've started doing more of, even when I'm doing, abstract maps i'll say you know yeah do the same thing and usually Mm -hmm. trying to build it around the context of the character that's going next so i don't have to build everything out something occurred to me while you were while you're talking about that which is that one of the complaints against the other the mind is we don't we we, we're not all seeing the same situation Mm -hmm. and it's kind of and then i was like it kind of doesn't matter like if it doesn't matter if you're all seeing the same situation as long as the important points are you know in everybody's head like you know, what you've filled your brain with hopefully is wonderful, right? But yeah. it, it, what matters is that there's, you know, two goblins, one on each side of the cavern, and they're up high, and they have advantage while they're shooting down at you because of their positioning. And, you know, your cavern and my cavern look totally different, but we know about those goblins up in the yeah. corner, and we know about the fact that they have advantage. And, yeah. you know, so there doesn't need to be a shared the, – the picture doesn't – needs to have, like, a overlap, but it doesn't need to be perfect. Yeah. And and hopefully if the imaginations of the players are rich, each of their caves will be as good as they could get. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's it's better, better than, than mine. Yeah. yeah. Or right? what I could draw. Maybe yeah. not what I could dwarven and forge if I spent the money, but not even uh, then, you know, you're you're, you're Right. But yeah, I also think there's something limited. you know, even if you are into the tactics of the game, and I get mm-hmm. that, you realistically don't have a bird's eye view as the character. So That's true, right? Maybe you think Things there's get a two chaotic, goblins, but yeah. it's actually one. You're like you don't yeah. have all that information, um, and also I love the immediacy of it because that's always like, what do you do? There's yeah. an ogre charging at you. Yeah. You're on a bridge that's on fire. Yeah. You're being shot at, but you know. <laughs> right. So I, I, I it kind of helps me get that again. I want them to think of it like a movie. I want them to remember back later after the game or the next day yeah. and see the goblins shooting at them, right? Or see the bridge. I don't want them to see their mini on a piece of paper. Sure. That's yep, that's yep. what I'm going for is I'm yep. trying to make it cinematic um, and just make it as cool as I possibly can every sure. time. Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, the other big thing for me that I really enjoy, and we've touched on this, is I love the immediacy of building up to an exciting moment mm-hmm. and then immediately going into combat. There is no, let me break out the maps. There's no, yeah, let's right. get, everybody finds their right mini. Yeah, because it's Yeah. There's no, there's no change. It's just right into it. Yeah. And then it also has the thing, like you said, of like if I build up to that moment – 
And I'm like, okay, everybody roll initiative. And I break out the map and I break out the minis. And then one person's like, I think I want to talk my way out of this. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, no, yeah, right. we're in combat mode, guys. Yeah. But if we're not doing that, then yeah. okay. I, I, it just feels more natural to me sure. to be like, okay, well, we can keep talking then. Yeah, so yeah. We, we don't we don't draw barriers between the exploration and role play scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, they flow naturally one to the other. If you mm-hmm. run into a, a an NPC or a talking statue, you know, it goes from wow, look at that all that algae on that statue. That statue must be fourteen hundred years old. Oh my god, it's talking to me, <laughs> right now. Well, let me talk to it. Well, it's really stern. Well, I'm going to roll a diplomacy and see how I can. You know, yeah. great. 14 year old statue help anyway, there's no there's no break but then a minute like the statue animates and attacks you hang on everybody i gotta set up my dwarven force yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. okay can you hand me that tree the, the big statue mini that's behind you i want to use that statue <laughs> mini so there's not that break and i think I, merle said it too merle's is you know you it, it, he he has obviously been spending time looking at initiatives in 5e mm-hmm. um and i remember that early on i think it was either Right as 5e came out or before, he and uh, Adam Kobel, who was one of the authors of Dungeon World, mm-hmm. um, were talking. And and I think Adam just kind of said out of the blue, you know, like, roll for initiative is like the worst, you know, break point of, of yeah. you know, a thing. And Merle's was like, yep, <laughs> you're right. Yeah. And, you know, I would love to have a different way. And I, I know that I skip initiative a lot these days. And it's sort of like, mm-hmm. depending on the situation, if the characters get a jump on the monsters... We'll just, just go, go. We'll just go around the table. Yep. Everybody and, gets a turn. And then if the monsters get dropped, the characters, the monsters go, and then everyone goes around the table. Yep. And we don't have to roll initiative. So I actually think that I roll for initiative probably maybe one third of the time or less, uh, because other circumstances during the story have precedence, yeah. and that mostly is in theater of the mind combat. Like if it, if there's a battle map and everyone's there, then we usually roll for initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, but but uh, a lot of times I'll just I'll, I, I try to keep the 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 way they call it, smash cuts, right? I keep the yeah. I keep the smash cuts as as free well, and flowing as possible, you know. And I, anybody listening to this probably has had the situation where you're talking back and forth. You know, maybe the bard is or the sorcerer. You know, they're trying to wheel and deal, whatever the situation is. And one of the characters is like, "All right, I'm gonna take my dagger out and throw it at the guy," right? Because I'm tired of this talk. Okay, everyone roll initiative. Right. Okay, turns out the guy's throwing the dagger. You're seventh in line. Everyone else is going to get to do something, <laughs> yeah, right. and then you're going to get to throw your dagger, even though you're the one that Yeah, even though you initiate. Yeah, right. that so when you just like you know, if you're in, and you don't have to, you could do this with maps and minis. I'm not saying you can't, but it just sort of feels more natural if you're not using maps and minis. If you're using right. theater of mind, just to say, okay, throw your dagger. Right. No one right. knows it's coming, so right. throw it, and then we'll worry about initiative or not. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. There, I think there's there's a mindset and maybe a prejudice. That when you pull out the maps and minis, it, it, it tells you something yeah. that may not be true. That's right. Yeah, it's a different different kind of game. Yeah. And again, yeah. I'm not saying one's better than the other, but just I right. prefer one over the other. So we've been praising Theater of the Mind. So what are some of the negatives? We, we talked about not trust, maybe confusion. But are there any other like negatives or situations you've been in? You're like, well, we really like we should have drawn a map here. Um, so certainly complicated situations, like, like situations where you have different kinds of monsters and you have a lot of different monsters. And, you know, when you have like, I mean, I, I ran a, a battle a couple of weeks ago where I think there was like 12 or 14 monsters on the side and, and, and three different kinds, you know? And the funny thing is even that had theater of the mind components where like there was things happening off stage, 
mm. that were, you know, were a big deal. So there was maps and minis on the table, but then there's like, well, if you fall off the cliff, you're in a whole different area and there's things coming out of the water. Mm. And, um, that's really hard to run for me. If I've got, you know, when I have multiple different kinds of monsters at the same time, uh, it really helps for me to have some minis to represent them. I, I think that – so I think attention is another one that, I, you know, I, I forget who who I was talking to about this. But it's like you can kind of think of your – maybe it was a book I was reading recently where the maps and minis are props too. Like they're they're – they get the attention of the players. Like they want to look at it, right? And now mm-hmm. you're hitting more senses. So yeah. sure, we're all talking and that's great. And yeah, I can look down and you wrote the name of a monster down. But – it's something different when there's a miniature I can look at and the miniature is cool. You know, like you could talk about a storm giant or you can show this guy, yeah. you know, and you're like, wow, look at that. And the, and the players will pick it up and look at the details on it. And there's, it's, it's just kind of from a hobby perspective, there's this sort of, you know, it's neat to see them, the miniatures, you yeah. know, and, and it engages like, the senses in a different it way. Does, it does. Yeah. The tactile. Some people really enjoy yeah. being able to touch and yeah. feel and, that kind of thing. And, and some like the tactics, you know, some yeah. like to, they don't want to just say, I want to hit it with a lightning bolt. They like, I want to line them up. I want to move my guy. And I'm playing the, the video game Divinity Original Sin 2 right now, which is a heavy tactical RPG. And you've got to move your guys around on a big map. And I was like, you know, they could have done it like Darkest Dungeon, where all the guys, all good guys are on one side, bad guys are another, and you're stabbing across the, the medium point, right? Yeah. And but Divinity Original Sin is like you've got to tr- turn the whole battle space so you can figure out how to get your guy right in the right position to be able to backstab. Mm-hmm. And and they design that because people like that, you know. Yep. And I like it; it's fun. I don't I don't like you know I like Darkest Dungeon style better, but yeah. you know, but it definitely was a reason why they did it that way. So um, yeah, I mean, I've definitely had players who say, "Yeah, it was fine," and I don't mind theater of the mind, but you know, I, so I'll tell you another one. Um, where, where it kind of, uh, you know, has, has bothered people. And that's, um, uh, agency. Players, players feel like they lose agency. Even if you give stuff to them, they feel like, well, you're giving me this. Yeah. I, I don't need you to give it to me. I've got it on my sheet. Like, I get to move 45 squares. So, like, uh, uh, one of the, one of our players, friend of mine, um, has a monk. And, like, every couple of levels, he's getting, like, an extra five feet of movement. And he's mm-hmm. like, you know, the hell the five feet of movement so i always laugh and i'm like oh man the guy's exactly 40 feet away oh but you've got that extra five feet so you can make right. it and he's like yeah give me the finger you know because <laughs> you're just screwing with me now yeah so and, yeah. and i do think those are absolutely valid criticisms and, and i am about very aware that a lot of my battles i have an unlimited special effects budget but a lot of my battles are kind of boring Right. Because I don't want to try to keep up with seven different monster types. You know, right, right. it's usually one monster and then like minions or, right. you know, four groups, one archers and one with bow or with swords. Cause I can keep up with that yeah. and I can keep it interesting. But yeah, it's kind of boring in some ways. You yeah. know, it's cinematic, but you know, is the challenge there? Are they getting to use interesting yeah. tactics? Yeah. Uh, and that's something I'm, could be certainly be better at. And, and I do think the agency is, is a big one. I think that that goes to the player's mindset, why people play the game. Cause people play mm-hmm. the game for different reasons mm-hmm. that, yeah, that if you're like, Hey, can I get three goblins in, in a burning hands? And I'm like, sure. Mm-hmm. Some people are going to love that. And other people are like, well, you know, I wanted to manipulate the battle. Yeah. I wanted to get into the right position to do that. And if it's just hand wavy, then, like there's really no difference between our characters now. Right. I say fireball, you say smite. We're both rolling forty eight. Right. You know, it and I, I think there's some sameness 
that could certainly creep in right. if you're not careful. Right. So obviously there's pros and cons to each. Right. I, I think we've kind of, I think, you know, had some of the sort of the same concepts that both can work, both mm-hmm. have pros and pros and minuses. Do you, mm-hmm. like right now, do you think you lean more towards one or the other? Well, there's kind of like what I recommend. And this is where I get into trouble. Like, like you know, I've definitely had people who are sort of, you know, can get angry about it and I can understand it. And I also sound very hypocritical. Um, I do think like for, for new players that are getting into D&D, you know, starting with as little as you can get away with. I do, I do love the Paizo Flipman, and for 10 bucks, I think it's worth it. Yeah. Uh, I think Wizards of the Coast themselves are actually coming out with something that's similar. And I don't, it's not because you need a map where you could draw a, a map, although I'm certain people are going to do that. Mm-hmm. But it's because you have this big whiteboard in front of you and you can draw anything on it and you can draw side views and isometric maps and you can draw all kinds of stuff because just getting some visuals help. But I, I think that learning how to play theater of the mind, uh, you know, you save a lot of money, you gain a lot of flexibility. I think it probably improves improvisational skills, which I think is, you know, some, some, I think is the number one most important DM skill you can improve. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of advantage there. Uh, the other thing I'll say is, and, and I've, this is another one where I've had, you know, many conversations with my, with my wife about it and, and also talked online about it. And this is where kind of the hypocrisy sort of falls in that, you know, I'm trying to like, well, how do you quantify the value of Dwarven Forge? Like, mm-hmm. we can certainly quantify its price, <laughs> you know? Yes. And, and like, like we were talking about earlier, you can quantify how much time it takes. So how much better is the game because of it? And, and I kind of have a, a, a loose idea in my, like, in, you know, think about the game you were just talking about, right? That yeah. guy probably spent a lot of money on Dwarven Forge. Right. How much and he better made the was, game worse. right? Made the game worse. And, um, uh, you know, I, I don't think that's certainly always the case, but I would say that probably if I had to throw a number around, it would feel like a game that has like a really nice battle map is maybe 10 to 15% better than a, than a game that doesn't. And there are, in my opinion, there are things that DMs can do and spend time on that are going to have a much bigger impact to a game and, and making a game way more fun than spending a fair bit of money on miniatures and on terrain. Yep. On the other hand, having it, you know, and, and like I, you know, all these ideas are coming to me while I'm backing the fourth Dwarven Forge Kickstarter, <laughs> you know, for more than the price of my first car. And the, you know, and that's because it does that. I mean, 10 to 15% is not nothing. Right. And it's cool and people like it. But I remember like I ran two adventures and one of them was very, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll use my wife again as an example. Let's see if I get the dirty look yet. <laughs> I, I guess I have to wait. Where, um, I ran two adventures and one used the brand new castles Kickstarter, like castle stuff. And it was like this four story castle. And the other one was almost all theater of the mind. It was like back to back. One, one adventure that was up in the castle, another adventure was, that was before. And, uh, and I said like how, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how did you like the castle one? And she's, I think she said like a seven, something like that. And I said, um, and how did you like the other one? She said about an eight. So I was like, so the one that had the castle was a seven. The one that yeah. had nothing was an eight, you know? And, and I asked why. And it was because it was like, well, I felt like we were rushed to get to the end of that castle. Like we, yep. there's this like, you know, this omnipresent evil that's headed our way. And it was kind of frustrating to have to rush our way all the way through where the other one, I felt much more empowered. I'm kind of paraphrasing. I don't know. She, she, she gave me the, yeah, close enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, close enough. Close enough. Yeah. Well, but, that, that goes to my thing. If, if I have the Dwarven Forge, we're going to use the Dwarven Forge. 
That's, yeah, right. Yeah. And that was that like that night. The, the big joke was everybody came over and they saw this cool. And it's I think it's awesome looking, right? Mm-hmm. I loved it and I loved putting it together and it was lots of fun. And I'm sure I'll use it again. And I said, like, no matter what direction you head, you're coming to this tower. Yeah. <laughs> like, and they were like, they all, we all, they were like, that was the big joke was like, yeah. you know, oh, we don't, we're going back to the village. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not yeah. feeling good. We'll take a week off. Right, right. Yeah. But now the funny thing is there were other games where I didn't have anything and they came and they would look at the table and not see anything. And I said, are you guys going to head back to Clouth and get your next mission? Or are you going to head to maybe go figure out what's going on with the fire giants? And they're like, I think we want to go back to uh, Skullport. You know, we haven't been to Skullport in a while. Let's go on. And I'm like, all right. And like, I was able to wing an entire adventure in Skullport. Yeah. I had no idea they were even heading there. So if I had built like this big layout or had all these plans, you know, they all, like, I didn't even remember Skullport, yeah. you know? And, and now the funny thing is they had a whole bunch of battles and they had a whole bunch of stuff that happened there. And I think they ended up the biggest Dwarven Forge setup I've done, maybe the second biggest compared to that big castle happened in one of the dungeons underneath one of the main places in Skullport after the session where I knew they were heading down there. Right, you know? yes. And so so I think that that's where, you know, that, again, right club for the right shot, you know? Yeah. And if I know that they're heading in a certain area and I know I have the time, uh, setting it up, I think, definitely makes it more fun. Like, they, they like to see it. They like to go, so that's where the rooms are. I want to go hide in this little alcove here or whatever. And, and I think it can be used in that instance i was just talking about i very specifically put like rooms where there weren't fights mm-hmm. but they were like cells where people were being held prisoner and they I, so they could go in and see it and then there was yeah. like another room where it was like the, the the guy who's running the place lives here but he has a secret door and the secret door goes into his treasure vault and inside the treasure vault is a demi lich but that's a whole other story <laughs> that's another story yeah yeah and i think you know again we've, we've already been talking now well over an hour there's still so many facets we could get into to yeah. the group dynamics. Yeah. Uh, you know, yep. like four players who are all in my mindset, mm-hmm. Dwarven Forge is a waste because mm-hmm. we don't care. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. four players who love Dwarven Forge, mm-hmm. they're going to probably hate a theater of the mind game. So you've got those dynamics. You got how much time are you playing each week? Uh, you know, how much time do you have to prep? Like you said, you know, I see this all the time with people who are making up homebrew worlds right. and they'll have 30 pages of history written that no one's ever going to experience at the yeah. game. Yeah. You know, right. start with the little village that's, that's ha- yeah. people are my attacking. Friend, my friend Enrique talks about this all the time. Yeah. It's in the newbie DM, right? Yep. And he's like, you know, no one cares. Right? No one cares about your 17 gods and the 4,000 year history. Talk about the rats in the basement, you <laughs> yes. know? I say this all the time. Think big, but start small. Right, right. And Spiral think, out, yeah. Yeah, and then I think that, that kind of the same thing there, that if you just enjoy putting Dwarven Forge together, mm-hmm. then that's not time wasted because right. you're enjoying it. You're probably going to feel better. You're going to be happier yep. when you run the game. So yeah. there's these intangible benefits. Yeah. But if it's a chore, mm-hmm. then maybe you'd be better off doing theater of the mind, even if you're not as mm-hmm. comfortable with it, because you'll get better mm-hmm. with time. It, you know, it's a muscle. It takes. Yeah. You have to work it out to get better at it. Yeah, yeah, and I and I feel like like for for new folks getting in, just again because of the cost the, the cost prohibitive nature, and it's, we haven't even talked about miniatures, but miniatures is a whole other you know dollar sink when it comes yeah. to this kind of stuff, and and you never have enough, and you never have the ones you need, yeah. you know, well, no matter how many you have. This is a great time to plug. You recently worked with Arknight, yes, to put I did. together uh, for this very are, problem. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <Right>? They're uh, <laughs> they support our show. They've been a, oh, a sponsor of yeah. ours. Yeah, um, so I know them very well. They yep. sent me a big pack of their. Yep. Double-sided yep. maps a while ago. And yeah, stuff. So, yeah, I have, I have those too. So do you want to talk, I mean, 
plug sure. it. What, yeah. what is it? Um, so, so um, I loved flat plastic minis. Uh, I backed their first Kickstarter. I got the results. And to me, you know, I was talking about how stuff goes in and out of print. And I think the most popular miniature, you know, the most popular and cost-effective system for getting things like miniatures was the Paizo uh, bestiary uh, pawns that mm. they that they sold but they're out of print you can't you can't get them right now and the costs are through the roof on secondary market um and they're also big and heavy you know tons and tons and tons of cardboard yeah. the flat plastic miniatures are super lightweight super durable they look great and the cost is about 30 cents 30 to 50 cents per mini so they're getting back to that cost that i was getting back you know right. 20 years ago um, and they're not random packs. You know which ones you're going to get. And they're beautiful. They're all unique. You know, one of the things that I, I, I didn't occur to me until I was working with them on it was there's not a single duplicate, right? You, you don't buy six goblins and get six of the same goblin. You get six different goblin yeah. pieces of art, you know, and every one of them is doing something different, which means you don't have to number them because you'd be like, I want the one with the club in his right hand, you know, yeah. or I want the one with the mohawk. <laughs> and um, anyway, so uh, I love their sets, and but it, it and I and I think when I talked to them, they said that um, you know the most popular version that they sell is their big pack that has all of it in it, right? Mm -hmm. And um, uh, and I, I was talking to them about like, wouldn't it be kind of neat if you guys sold them sort of like the Monster Manual, where like tier tier based miniatures, you know? And wouldn't it also be cool? I, I said like, because I feel like I've got a ton of PC guys. And then I, I I don't quite have the monster minis that I need, and and they were like, well, how about you help put together a set? And I was like, sure, you know that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. uh, and and for for full disclosure, I do I do get a small cut from from the ones that are that are sold under the Sly Flourish curated brand. And um, what I did is I, I went through all they they gave me all the art that they have for all of them, and then I went through like Fandelver, and I went through some other kind of core things and I, and, I, and I thought about it a lot like what are the guys you really need you know and what are the guys where you need and how many of them do you need and it's still not perfect like sure. you know you're, you're still going to be missing out but it's like well those lizard men can fill in for your extra orcs when you need more than six orcs you know mm -hmm. and those the 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 little demon kin guys can fill in for goblins or vice versa or any of them can work as kobolds if you need <laughs> so I tried to pick guys where like every Every flat plastic mini you got could serve two or three purposes, not just what's on it, you know, but it could serve as a backup for another one. And um, and I went through like the player class race and armor type combos to, to make sure that, I mean, you can never get all of them, but it was like, you know, how many dwarves does it have? And, and making sure that the genders are equally represented, that there's equal female and male for all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the nice thing is like, well, those can also be bad guys, you know, yeah, <laughs> like, right, yeah. you can always use and I, you, you know, if you've even using them, I'm sure you use them that way, too, where, you know, the, the hero minis that aren't heroes are bandits you or, know? In, or NPCs or NPCs. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so we put together a set. Uh, he they 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 priced it really, really competitively. I think it's 60 bucks mm -hmm. for like a hundred and so like one hundred and thirty two. Maybe I think it's more than that. I think it's like one hundred and sixty four minis. And they're all the way from a goblin to the ancient reds so like it's got all five chromatic dragons in there oh, wow. in giant sized yeah and it's it's so it's it's not just low level guys it's also some of the more iconic high level it's got it's got you know you know a beholder an eye beast right? <laughs> an eye beast yes. yeah and a tentacle tentacle man you know <laughs> um so they're not stepping on the ip but it's pretty of course yeah 
And, uh, um, but then, but heavy focus on like, you know, the guys that you're going to run into a lot. Cause I know I've been using them at, at my games, uh, because they're so portable. You know, mm-hmm. you can literally pack hundreds of these things. I use a three by five or a, uh, business card holder. Mm-hmm. And I fold it, you know, throw a bunch in there and fold it in half and it just fits right in my portfolio with my other stuff. And if I ever need a bunch of guys, I can open it up and pull them out. So the, the ability to get that many of them that are, that are meant for that wide range of use, uh, I think is a, you know, trying, I'm trying to solve the mini problem a little sure. bit, you know, and working with them to try to solve the mini problem. Cause yeah. I think my, my personal opinion is they have the best product when it comes to minis. Like, yeah, I, again, I don't really use maps and minis. Yeah. Right. But I was impressed with their products. And yeah, if I was going really to, nice. those are what I would use. Yeah. Yeah. The cost is low. The art is great. The portability is fantastic. You know, and it's just when you when you look at everything else, like the WizKids has been putting out the boosters and those are fine, but they're like four dollars a mini, you know, and for random. And, and then, I, I that random thing just gets. Well, it, no one likes it. But the, the and they, the reason they do that is business. They have business. They, they know people don't like it. And they yeah. if they could do it the other way. They certainly would. And if they could cut a profit, but they can't. Yeah. And and, you know, same Reaper is doing it with uh, Reaper Bones. And again, I back all those. I've got bags and bags and bags of Reaper Bones because I can't, I can't, I, I have a problem and I can't help it. And, um, and I love painting them too. It's a lot of fun to paint them. But that's still not a great solution. And again, it's like, well, what does that person who bought Van Delver do? Do they, do we really say like, well, you're using the golf, the piece, you know, the golf pencil and the piece of paper, or you need to drop about four or 500 bucks on minis? Yeah. Wow. Right. That's a steep curve when it comes to this hobby. But you're like, Oh, by the way, you'll probably spend a thousand, maybe two thousand dollars in minis, and you're still not going to have enough freaking hill giants. <laughs> you know, like you're going to be one shy of whatever yeah. you need. Always, 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 more. right? So, so that's 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 you know that's why I think kind of starting with theater of the mind and and really thinking about how to you know step out of that. Like, mm-hmm. where are you going to invest your money? You know, and your time and your energy, and and yeah. So, like my Dwarven Forge recommendation is that they have a basic set. That's just corners, walls, and floors. And, and Stefan Picorni and I were talking about this two nights ago. And he was, he said that that's by far their biggest selling set. And it's because it's walls, corners, and floors. And it's amazing what you can build. You can build anything with those. Yeah. But it's only three pieces. And it's, I think it's 80 bucks for, you know, a set. And maybe two sets is a, a good amount of material. Mm-hmm. So it's still not cheap, right? The right. starter sets, a- the starter sets 16 bucks. And now you just spent 160. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's, it's a step up. It's nice. Right. But it's, you know, it's the same thing we've been talking about, the flexibility. This are all those variables come back in. They right. all come crashing back in and they, I throw them back out and they come crashing back in again. <laughs> so, so my last piece of advice would be go to conventions mm-hmm. and play a bunch of different styles. Sure. Yeah. You know, look for the person who runs games with the full layout. Mm-hmm. Look for games that says a lot of role play, no combat, no whatever. Mm-hmm. You can kind of curate the the experience you're going to get and see which one you like. And then yeah. when you find what you like, do that. And every now and then experiment with something else. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would, I would throw, I think, you know, to, I, I'm not a big believer that advice is all that useful. So mostly sharing experience is what is I try to do, right? And like, what, what, what do other people think? Sharing experience is right. Yeah. That's what our whole show's about. We don't tell people what to, what to do. That's all we talk about what, what we've done. Right. And, and I think that, you know, two things that I I would still recommend, I guess, I can't help myself, <laughs> is starting, you know, starting. Well, so first of all, never, never saying I'm only going to use one, you know, don't, there's no reason to limit ourselves. Right. 
and and that idea that you know we 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 have all of these tools. D and D is wide open, and we have all of these tools that we can use, and we should try them all. So particularly if you get, I I, I love the Paizo flip mat. I mentioned it a bunch of times, and that to me is that's the no brainer. <laughs> like to me, a, a Paizo flip mat is just so. It's like useful. dice. You just you have it because I, you're I really do because it's like you know now I'm not throwing pieces of paper away. I'm dry erasing it. and I'm erasing it with a piece of cloth, right? Yeah. So it's just it's just handy. So trying it with maps and minis and or mini, maps or tokens or whatever, even if you're using just tiny little flat tokens. Um, Skittles. You yeah, know. Skittles. Yeah, a lot of people use like Starburst. So you get to eat your enemies when you kill them, which is always <laughs> nice. So not limiting ourselves to any – I've had a lot of luck not limiting myself to any one style. And that means we can try all different things and then sort of pick and choose not just which one we like the best, but also which ones work well for which situations yeah. uh, if we want to try it. And then the the other thing, and where it I get into trouble mostly because people like me who have spent a lot of money don't want to hear this is the game. If you ever are on Twitter or Facebook and you're looking at some of these really elaborate setups that people have, the enjoyment that that brings is in order to get a, a linear increase in joy, it takes an exponential amount of money, right? Yeah. So you are. You are going to spend, especially with miniatures and, and terrain and stuff like that, you're not getting an exponential gain for the money, the exponential cost. Right. You're getting a, a slightly linear gain. But it is a gain. And if you, you know, hobbies like every hobby, and if people have the disposable income on it, then it's great, you know. Or if they just enjoy it. Like if you're the person who likes ju- to I, I love it. craft your own, you know, terrain out of plywood and foam, foam core board or whatever, then great. You're having a ball doing it. Your players will right. probably like it. Yeah. But don't think you have to do it. Don't think you that's that's my point is don't think you have to do it. And for the people who can't afford it, your game is not worse without it. Right. <laughs> right. Like your game is just fine. Yep. And small, stupid things like just paying attention to the characters and their capabilities and giving them opportunities to shine will make players far happier than spending a lot of money on maps and miniatures and, and terrain and stuff like that. I agree. Well, Mike. Thank you so much for spending time with me tonight. I, Thank you. I'm sorry we went we went way over on your time. <laughs> no, no, that, that's quite all right. And, you know, you're welcome back anytime if you have a Kickstarter you want to talk about or just you have something else on your mind that okay. you would like to, to share with our yep. audience. Yep. Love to have you back anytime. I will hopefully have something by the end of the year going around. I'm finishing up Fantastic Adventures, but I've got something else that's in that's in the works. So before we sign off, where can people find you on the Internet, Mike? Uh, so slyflourish.com is my website and I'm pretty active on Twitter at twitter.com slash slyflourish. Fantastic. Well, thank you again. And thank you. It's been a great pleasure. Anyone listening, we always throw it out to you. What did we get wrong? What did we say that was stupid? What are your experiences, good and bad with each type? What advice would you give to someone starting? Please let us know in the comments to this episode or let us know on our Facebook page or Twitter. Just communicate with us. Let us know uh, what you thought of this episode and uh, we'll have another one for you soon. So. For Mike, this is Michael, and we will see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGAcademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, 
please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the Drive-Thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.